From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. This week we're going to share some of our favorite new music that's flying under the radar. Plus, we remember audio engineer Jeff Emmerich, who worked with the Beatles on Revolver and Sgt. Peppers. We're going to revisit our conversation with him. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and uh, later in the show, Jim, we're going to pay tribute to the late Jeff Emmerich, uh, a name that may not be a household name, uh, but uh, certainly a legendary uh, audio engineer, especially for his work with the Beatles, classics like Revolver, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and Abbey Road, among other classic recordings. But now it's time for another round of Buried Treasures. Greg, this is one of our favorite shows, right? Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, what's a Buried Treasure? It, this is a recording that we define as something that's probably under the mainstream radar. You probably haven't heard of it. Uh, uh, we collect these. We try to do this show every once in a while and turn you on to great music that deserves a wider audience. Greg, you get to go first. Jim, I'm going to start off with uh, an exploration of garage rock, one of our favorite genres. Oh, yeah. Uh, ever since the 60s, right? Every band that wanted to be, you know, we just talked about the Beatles. Well, there was a lot of bands cropping up all over America that wanted to be the Beatles playing music in garages. Uh, and that tradition has carried on a long and glorious history in Chicago. Uh, the last decade, we'd ha we've had a, a ton of these really great garage rock combos. In other words, these are veterans from that scene that are forming this band, Ethers. Uh, two things that make Ethers stand out from the pack. One is the songwriting. Bo Hansen, in particular, he is writing uh, deeper, more introspectively, lyrically, than you would expect from the typical garage rock band. The uh, uh, suicide of an older brother... Uh, has really informed a number of the lyrics on this album, and it's impossible uh, to miss uh, that vibe, that melancholy, tragic vibe that, that courses through a number of these songs. Mm. But it's not a downer at all. This is a great band. And I think the, uh, the other distinctive feature of this band is the um, uh, keyboardist, Mary McCain. Uh, she plays one of those farfizas. And you, you, so I am a geek yeah, for a farfisa. sucker for that. I can't get you to play with my band ever. I don't know why. <laughs> And, and what I like about it is uh, Ethers does not use the, uh, the Farfisa as just sort of a little accent. Uh, that, it's an overdriven mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, lead instrument in this band, and some of the heavier rockers, it really blasts into the forefront. The song I'm going to play, though, is, is more on the contemplative side. It's just got a haunting melody to it. Uh, you, you hear the, the band's gift for uh, hooks, uh, as well as that sort of uh, underlying tone of melancholy. It's something from the band Ethers on Sound Opinions. Take 
That is Ethers with a song called Something, one of my buried treasures. I'm loving it, Craig. This is what Bravery Treasure is supposed to do. You just turned me on to them. I would say that they uh, are more of the late era uh, garage, uh, yeah. where it's not just tearing it up, fake R&B, uh, amphetamized, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's a lot of psychedelia in yeah, there. It reminds sure. me of the psychedelic seeds. I'm going to go all the way to New Zealand for my first buried treasure, a band called The Beths. Um, you know, I, my favorite band from New Zealand since Flight of the Concords. Mm. This is a wonderful, uh, really uh, energetic pop punk band with a sort of indie, uh, you know, chimey, uh, psychedelic, almost at times vibe. Think of the great Courtney Barnett fronting mm. the Chills or the Clean, mm. uh, other great Kiwi bands, right? Um, and I don't make that Courtney Barnett comparison lightly. The leader of this group, Elizabeth Stokes, is a really smart, uh, almost novelistic songwriter. Uh, sometimes I think I'm doing fine. I think I'm pretty smart. Then the walls become thin. Somebody gets in. I'm defenseless. I love that line from a song called Future Me Hates Me. And I love that whole concept of you as, as, as someone, a young person, trying to find your way in the world, and you're looking ahead and thinking, mm. someday, maybe I'll get it together, and that person's going to hate the person I am now. Wow, that is a lot to pack into uh, this explosive, guitar-driven, you know, frenetically drummed uh, pop-punk song. I just, I just love it. The Beths from New Zealand, Future Me Hates Me. That is the Beths with the title track from their new album. Just came out in August. Future Me Hates Me. Car Park Records. That is a great title. Uh, I had to say, Future yeah, isn't Me that great? Hates Me. Yeah. That's the story of my life. And, you know, the other thing uh, about this record, Jim, uh, you know, we talked about the sophistication or relative sophistication of what the Ethers were doing. The same thing with the Beths. That those counterpoint harmonies really got me. Yeah. Uh, kind of a cut above on this record. Uh, the next band I want to go to is Our Girl from the UK. Brighton, to be specific. A co-ed trio led by a woman named Soph Nathan. She's also a member of a band called Big Moon. But Our Girl, her other band, sounds nothing like them. Big Moon is kind of more uh, uh, downbeat and more uh, atmospheric. Mm. Uh, Our Girl is a, is a trio in which uh, Nathan's guitar is right up front. 
I love her sort of understated, very conversational vocal style, but she's got a real feel for hooks as a guitar player. Not only hooks, but also the ability to crank it up. You mm-hmm. know, you get from these kind of eerie mood pieces that just sort of explode, you know, when you least expect it. So that dynamic plays itself out. This is a really, really good uh, debut album. It's called Stranger Today. And uh, here's a track from it. It's called In My Head from Our Girl on Sound Opinions. In my head from Our Girl on Sound Opinions. Yeah, that's a good one, Greg. It reminds me very much of uh, Mary Timoney's band, Helium. Oh, yeah. Both in terms of the understated uh, vocals and those killer guitars. Um, There has been no shortage at all in the last couple of years of uh, great up-and-coming Chicago rappers uh, putting their music out on SoundCloud, working to build the next Chicago scene, uh, a community to follow Chance the Rapper. And Matt Muse is part of that. Um, you know, how do buried treasures come to you? I've told stories before. You know, sometimes you get this email, please listen to me, right? Mm. And something strikes. Um, I know Matt's mother, who is a colleague in academia, and, and she's fantastic. And she said, listen to my son's record, mm. right? That combined with almost the same day uh, reading a piece that Lior Galil wrote in the Chicago Reader. said, okay, I'm going to listen to Matt. Muse. And Matt's got his first real album out now after uh, several mixtapes called Nappy Talk. Uh, you know, and it, it's it's catching fire. He got to perform at Taste of Chicago this summer. Uh, people are buzzing about this record. Um, you know, he's a guy who believes in community. He's a teaching artist with young Chicago authors, uh, a really great group in the uh, community. Uh, he, he's been working uh, and got his break with Donda's House, named for Kanye West's mother, now Art of Culture, run by Rhymefest, Jay Smith. Um, so he gives back, and his way of looking at the South Side, this this wonderful uh, community in Chicago that is also uh, plagued with violence, all right, is uh, through his hair. Nappy talk, right? <laughs> He's got an incredible do, which is kind of like the hip-hop take on a flock of seagulls. <laughs> and he said that, you know, it's when he, he began to look for a straight job, you know, everybody expected him to, you know, kind of corporate up his hair. And then he decided to mm. hell with that. Mm. I am going to let it be all that it can be. I don't know if I'm explaining it right. Um, you know, I'm going to play a track called Getting To It. 
it's got that, uh, you know, hip-hop braggadocio thing, but the humor and then also the sense of community. I got seven words for a naysayer. Gambino for president and muse for mayor. Bring the city to completion. Touch the sky it had me reaching. Now I'm gripping on this cloud. Hope it won't let me down. Um, I, you know, I think he's got a really firm sense of hip-hop history. Uh, he is proud of his roots. He said he wanted this record musically to sound like the tunes blaring from an old Cadillac mm. driving around uh, on the south side, while lyrically he wanted to talk about the present. Getting to it by Matt Muse from Nappy Talk on Sound Opinions. I say thank you, Grandma, for shacking me. Thank you, Mama, for smacking me. Thank you, Papa, for strapping me with raps to catch him lacking. Thank the city for shacking me. Thank them dudes for jacking me. I ain't worried who adding me. My squad is in back of me, and we getting to it. 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 Okay, now let's get into it. Getting to 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 it. Watch me while I get it. To it. I got seven words for a naysayer. Kanye for president and chance for mayor. Bring the city to completion. Touch the sky, it had me reaching. Now I'm gripping on this cloud, hoping it won't let me down. On a wing and a prayer that we fly above the spell. Simpson, I grew my hair. I don't care, let them stay here. It got longer, boss got stronger. If I spell it right, I conjure up to help me conquer. I can't wait on me no longer. This ain't college. This real life, no scholarship, no free ride. This CTA, not GTA, that let me know your ETA. I'm outside, just arrived, try to stem me wrong, and I'll show you right. How your auntie, like, show you right, cause it go right when you flowing right. Uh, the pin be working when your mama's sick of working it. Ay. You gotta hurt them when your pocket steady hurting it. Ay. I know for certain this will have my granny smirking. So I'm going Gordon Hayward when they open that curtain. You know I'm getting to it, getting to it, getting to it, getting to it, getting to it. Okay, now let's get into it. 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 Watch me while I get into it. Northside. Greg, in introducing uh, Matt Muse, I mentioned I read uh, Lior Galil write about him, and he's turning me on to a lot of great music. He is the music columnist at the Chicago Reader. We want to share the buried treasure wealth. Lior, welcome to Sound Opinions. you got some treasures for us. I do indeed. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. What What is the first treasure you're going to lay on us? Uh, the first one is a group from St. Louis called Foxing. Mm. Uh, they're an, an, an emo band. Uh about five years ago, you could see them play the first of four bands at Township, which is <laughs> exactly a uh, Emo, for, yeah. for those of you not in Chicago, it's a, about the size of a thumbtack. And uh, they have shown tremendous growth over the course of several albums. This is their third album, uh, Near My God, came out a couple months ago, and it is just enormous. Uh, I it, it feels like the world opens whenever I hear it. Um, and particularly the the title track. Um, this is a song that uh, the co-producer uh, Chris Walla of formerly of Death Cab for Cutie uh, apparently went to the mat for is mm. is what he told Stereo Gum. The band was gonna cut it, uh, and I not even don't, included on the record. Not even included on the no. record, which is funny because it uh, it's the title of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, I saw them play in Lincoln Hall a couple weeks ago, which is a slightly larger space than Township. And uh, they introduce a song as uh, this is for anyone who has worked on something creatively and felt like giving up. And uh, it's it's so clear that they put themselves out there and that they took real risks. It sounds like a pop song. It sounds like a pop song from the 80s. It sounds like a pop song that is very much of this moment as well. Um, there's very little hint of of contemporary emo of 2000s emo in it. Uh, Those are the emo revival. I think yes, they're young yes, enough to qualify. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, what I like to uh, pref- 
call the fourth wave emo. Uh, I love it because they took such great risks in pulling off this song. And I think I think it works tremendously. This is Foxing with Near My God on Sound Opinions. Foxing with Nearer My God on Sound Opinions. Leor, you know uh, I love you, man. That's why you're on the show. I hate this this song. I hate this band. I don't think it's a good idea to combine emo with Muse. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the first Muse. thing that came to my head, actually, was Muse and U2 or something like that. There have been other critics that I deeply respect, like yourself, who have been raving about this record. And I feel like I'm the dumbest kid on the block because I don't get it. I, and I, for probably the similar reasons to what I, you just not said. Not at all. It sounds like a really bloated arena rock record. Like you, you mentioned the 80s. Yeah. This is like something I'd hear in, the, in an arena in the 80s. That's what I'm thinking. And run for the exit. So what am I, what am I missing here? To me, because I've been listening to this band since the beginning, the progression is part of what I find so appealing. Mm. They, they were really shabby at first, but clearly had... Uh, great ambition. They they sounded like they wanted to write for an orchestra, and there's something about uh, their ability to combine like '90s emo catharsis with huge production in in the case of the new album that uh, is so compelling to me is uh, unusual and unusual for the scene that they came out of. To me, it's uh, this record is symbolic of a band that's at the edge of something that could just break up tomorrow hmm. and are deciding to just throw every idea or maybe they could become uh 21 pilots so either way <laughs> all right if you've got a pick uh, of an album that we really need to hear call and leave a message on our hotline 888-859-1800 or find us on facebook or twitter after a break greg and i'll dig up some more buried treasures plus leor has one more pick too that's all coming up on sound opinions from wbez chicago and prx Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and we're going through some of our recent favorite records that haven't gotten as much attention as they should. We're calling them Buried Treasures. Today we're joined by Lior Galil of the Chicago Reader, an alt-weekly paper with uh, roots go, that go back 50 years, right, Lior? Uh, yeah, right? just celebrated 47. Yeah. Hey. What's your uh, final Buried Treasure? 
My final one is Gia Margaret put on a, an album called There's Always Glimmer earlier this summer on local label Arundel. She is a Chicagoan. The guy who runs the label, his name is Owen Ashworth. He sent this over to me earlier this summer, and uh, the second song, Birthday, just completely hooked me. I got this at the beginning of summer where I am just uh, a little turned off of music uh, because of all the festivals that are going on. And I mean, music festival season is just exhausting. Everything has to be big. And here was this record that felt so intimate and, Mm -hmm. and reminded me of what I like about music and felt so comforting at a time when music is just punishing to me. uh, Unfortunately. That is well said. So, so this is a Gia Margaret from Chicago with a track called birthday on sound opinions. birthday on Sound Opinions from an artist named Gia Margaret, as picked by Lior Galil, our guest from the Chicago Reader. Lior, that's beautiful stuff. Uh, chamber pop kind of record, very understated, beautiful voice. I could see where that could be a breath of fresh air in yeah, a and, and cluttered I, summer of music. Absolutely. You know, you, you sent me from that song, uh, digging into the rest of her stuff, you know, which is exactly what we hope to do with this show. And and you actually chose kind of the most Spartan of her songs. It's really stark and, uh, you know, kind of Nick Drake, you know. And But elsewhere, we get that full-on chamber pop cardinal, you know, kind of thing. You know, it's wonderful. So what's her background as a singer? Because I, I, she's just got a beautiful voice. She's, I mean, she's just been working in her bedroom for... Really? Uh, you know, since like 2010 at least. Uh, her earliest SoundCloud songs uh, at the moment are from six years ago. And, I mean, talk about Spartan. Some of those tracks are are just like synths or mm. just mm. Uh, really tinny sound- sounding uh, acoustic recording. Well, here she, uh, she actually raised money for this on Kickstarter uh, to record this album. And she was able to bring in 10 other musicians and really fill it out and really feel the space that was in front of her. It is such a progression from, you know, these ideas that she'd had on SoundCloud and still has out there. And it's great that she's kept documentation of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, fantastic. Lior Galil writes for the Chicago Reader. You can read it online if you're not lucky enough to be in Chicago. Thanks, Lior. Thank you for having me. Greg, you got another treasure for us? I do, Jim. This is a little bit out of left field. It's not a traditional rock record in any sense or a hip-hop record. It's uh, it's it's more of a jazz, a Latin jazz record. <laughs> But I cannot get enough of it. I think uh, people will appreciate it. It's uh, put out by the mighty Daptone label, the home of uh, the late Sharon Jones and yeah. the late Charles Bradley. And I think this is the best 
record they put out since that heyday is by Orchestra Akokan, which is a basically an all-star uh, band, a 16-piece big band of seasoned Cuban musicians, multi-generational. Led by the great vocalist Jose Papito Gomez and the uh, pianist arranger Michael Eckroth, those uh, Perez Prado records uh, back oh, in the yeah. day, Tito Puente, <laughs> you know, I, I I would put those on at dance parties we would have, and they you know they never fail to get people up and moving around. Um, the parallels that this record is drawing are to the uh, the Buena Vista Social Club album of the '90s that was curated by Ry Cooter, where he went to. Havana and recorded with these legendary musicians. And, and some people have sort of described that as the, the Sunday morning answer to this record, which is a Saturday night affair. Uh, and that was a muted record, but comparison to this one. This is a furious dance record. You can hear it here. Orchestra Akokan with Mambo Rapido on Sound Opinions. Orchestra Akko Khan from their self-titled debut album with Mambo Rapido on Sound Opinions. I'm loving you today, Greg. Can I take you for a medianoche and some fried plantains right now? Sure, why not? Let's go. Um, you were talking about garage rock, right? And and we've heard so much of this, and and uh, you know people take it for granted, and it's like, oh, more garage rock. And then you hear something that blows your mind. It's like the first time you ever heard this genre. That is how I feel about a band called Alastor. I don't know if it's a play on Alistair Crowley. They are big on uh, big from Sweden mm-hmm. on the uh, uh, the notion of uh, death and doom and destruction and uh, you know satanic and Halloweeny imagery. Okay, we've heard this a million times, right? But like I said, when you hear it uh, done with a particular passion and delivered just absolutely perfectly, it's like this is like the first time I heard Black Sabbath or Electric Wizard. Uh, 
um, Slave to the Grave. I mean, what, what else do you need to know, right? This is a concept <laughs> album about death. We are all slaves to the grave, of course. We're all heading there. Sooner or later, they just like to sing about it, and they do it with these incredible, uh, wonderful doom uh, guitars and, and just uh, fantastic drumming. I, I, I'm a sucker for this stuff. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd had friends say, this is good stuff. I'd gotten hyped by a publicist, and then you're like, yeah, 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 more and more. And then like, yeah, give me more as soon as I'm listening. This is Alastor with Slave to the Grave on Sound Opinions. Alastor with the uh, seven apocalyptic songs uh, on a new <laughs> album, Slave to the Grave. That's the title track. I figured you'd like this. Well, well, as soon as you, you know, you had me with the first subterranean bass line, you know. It was yeah, like one yeah, of those yeah, things. As soon yeah. as my, my sternum starts to shudder, I'm in heaven. That's, a, that's you know, what you're looking for. The other thing that I liked, liked about this band is I... I'm not a huge fan of the Cookie Monster vocals. You no. know, I think sometimes they work, but most of the time they don't for me. It's nice to hear this kind of clean, uh, more straight-ahead vocal style. Dare we say Ozzy-esque yes, almost. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to uh, stay in Europe, Jim. Um, I'm going to go to Berlin for this next band. It is called Camera. They have been around for about uh, six years. They uh, made their name hanging out and doing kind of guerrilla shows all over Berlin. They would be at a train station or a, an apartment building or, or in an alley and just set up and start playing uh, for people. And uh, over the course of that, numerous lineup changes, uh, four albums. The latest is just about to come out. It's called Emotional Detox. And uh, I'm going to play one of the tracks from it. Uh, Eleven minutes of uh, mm-hmm. of prime krautrock, you know, uh, mm-hmm. German art rock from the from the 70s. They are huge heads of Noi. Michael Roter was an early champion of this band. He the guitarist would, from Noi. The, the guitarist from Noi uh, would have this band open for his shows in Germany about a decade ago. So now we have a, a band with uh, with four albums out, and they've got a, a double keyboard lineup for this particular incarnation of the band. And you can hear a little bit of that dreamy, poppier, tangerine dream-like uh, overlay over those driving motoric rhythms underneath. 
uh, with the double keyboards on top. This is called Patrulla uh, from Camera on Sound Opinions. Patria from camera, it's still going on and on somewhere in It'll your never subconscious. And, never... and put it on when you're driving, and you will you, you won't want to stop. You'll well, drive cross country. If we had a four hour show, I'd play the whole thing. I, <laughs> so you know, when when we are now sharing our buried treasures picks with each other, but I don't know about you, I'm not researching or reading up anything about the bands you recommend. I'm just listening to the track yeah. and seeing if you're full of it or not. <laughs> uh, and I was like, you know, he had me at that first uh, motoric beat. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, right. all right, you know, what is no. Yes, I, I have I to give it. a shout out to uh, our, our mutual friend Robert Levine, uh, who is a champion of of modern day kraut rock. There are bands yeah, out fan. there doing it really well, and he's been sending me tracks, and and this, and this one really stood out. Greg, I have one more pick for you uh, from Sydney, Australia. A group of young women—they are four 16-year-old girls who began making music together forever ago at the age of eight in music school. Mm. Uh, they are called Earthlings. I think, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go on about the age thing, but I think uh, the most exciting young band uh, I've heard since The Regrets, who are similarly teens, similarly all women, talking about uh, the difficulties, the challenges, and the joys mm. of, of growing up as a girl in 2018. Uh, there is a lot of pop influence, some zombies, uh, some war paint, a band we've had on the show. This particular track I'm going to play, Bridges, uh, reminded me instantly of one of your favorite covers of all time, that Laura Nero and Patti LaBelle oh, yeah. cover of I Met Him on a Sunday, because it snaps with that finger mm -hmm. snapping thing, right? right? And then it builds, and it builds, and we get these wonderful kind of hazy washes of uh, shoegazer guitar and and uh, you know the rhythms build and the whole thing becomes this almost psychedelic swirl they're a fantastic group uh, earthlings ridges on sound opinions
That is Bridges by Earthlings from Australia, a debut single. Greg, I, I want more. Yeah, good call on Earthlings, Jim. That wraps up this edition of Buried Treasures. Can't get enough of them. Can't wait till the next time we do this, Jim. Yeah. And uh, our listeners, if you've got an album that is flying under the radar uh, that everyone should hear, let us know and give us a call at 888-859-1800 or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. Coming up, we remember Jeff Emmerich. He was the studio engineer behind the mixing board for the Beatles' Revolver and Abbey Road. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. And now we want to pay tribute to the late Jeff Emmerich, who recently died at home in Los Angeles at the age of 72. Greg, what an incredible story. He's 15 years old when he begins at an underling at Abbey Road Studios. Day two on the job. He is there when the Beatles record Love Me Do. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of uh, people who aren't ultra familiar with the recording studio, you know, they hear, well, Sir George Martin was the Beatles producer, right? But that's like the director of a movie, whereas the recording engineer is doing all the technical work. It's like the cameraman. Without a great camera person, you don't have a great movie, no matter how great the director is. He was the technician who ran the machines and made sure everything got on tape. By the time the Beatles recorded Revolver in uh, April 1966, he's promoted to a full engineer, you know, and now he's what, you know, 18, <laughs> you know, right. 19? Uh, and he worked with them on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, basically everything else throughout their career, then went on to work uh, with them some more uh, at Apple Studios and their Apple records label, but there was more to what he did. Yeah, Jim, I mean, he had a huge resume. I mean, look at this who's who list of artists that he was working with. Uh, Stevie Wonder, Elvis Costello, you know, Imperial Bedroom, a lot of people revere that record in the Costello catalog. That was an Emmerich record, you know, Jeff Beck, America, Art Garfunkel, Robin Trower. Our uh, neighbors, Cheap Tricks. Yeah. Uh, Tim Harden, the folk rocker. Uh, and, and, you know, a, a number of Beatles uh, solo records, McCartney's Band on the Run. That was uh, his project in, uh, in Nigeria as well. So this guy was all over the map musically, uh, worked with all these titanic artists over the last few decades. We had the honor of speaking to Jeff Emmerich uh, in a show that we aired in 2006. We were talking specifically about the recording of Revolver for a classic album dissection, and he enlightened us on many things, including the uh, trippy, experimental, brilliant, and timeless Tomorrow Never Knows. Basically, it was, if I'm going to play a guitar, I don't want it to sound like a guitar. If I play the piano, I don't want it to sound like a piano. And so I'm thinking, what, what the hell do I do, you know? <laughs> but, uh, of course, you know, I'm sort of tearing my hair out. And, and when we get into that first cut, you know, on Tomorrow Never Knows, which was, was originally Mark One, you know, with the revolving speaker for the vocal. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I was just grabbing at straws, really. And, and luckily, that, that revolving speaker sort of uh, helped me and, and, and won John over to, to my calls anyway. When you say a rotating speaker, it's the giant Leslie cabinet that, that most uh, people use for, for Hammond organ. 
That's right, yeah. Um, you know, and I, I thought, well, if we can break into the circuitry, then then perhaps we can feed feed the vocal mic through through into that speaker. So, and, that, and that's exactly what we did, mm. <laughs> which was violating every rule of uh, Abbey Road, which is kind of an official kind of place. People wandering around in lab coats, and you had to yeah. wear a, a tie and cufflinks to the, to work every day, and 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 here you are breaking into the circuitry of a <laughs> of a Hammond organ to record a vocal, which just wasn't done, right, uh, Jeff? No, no, no. Of course, it wasn't done, and 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 I also had you know certain sounds in my head because I I'd been listening to a lot of American records while I was was mastering records and and I wanted to try and improve or get get more more sort of adventurous sounds out of the studio than than we were basically getting and the other thing I was going in for was this closer sound on Ringo's drum kit and mm. then I had to move the, the bass drum mic closer to get that and take the front skin off and got into trouble uh, you know for moving the bass drum mic closer than than 2 feet and eventually ended up with a written letter to giving me permission to be able to do that Tell us about these backward tape loops, which were obviously a big part of Tomorrow Never Knows and the whole album. How did you guys happen upon using those? You know, we all had uh, our own little home tape recorders, and Paul in particular used to go go home and, and experiment, making these little little crazy tape loops on, on his uh, m- machine. But the, the backwards thing started where John actually had a re- on his reel-to-reel because, you know, we, we didn't have cassettes in those days, and, and the only way you could take a track home to listen to it was a playback lacquer. Um, uh, which meant waiting for to the next day to to get it. So John had his reel-to-reel tape machine and being completely non-technical, took the tape home of a, of a rough mix um, and laced it up backwards on the machine and came back the next day and said there was something wrong with the mix, not realizing that he'd been playing it backwards. <laughs> so so after after that, we you know we we you know that that's how the the, the backwards thing started. You know we used to listen to everything backwards that we we recorded. You know mm. and, and even the, as as just as a as a, well not really a joke because we were all a bit zany then. We 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 thought that the Russian language was was actually English backwards and we got some Russian. Uh, spoken word and, and played it backwards to see if it was actually English when it was played backwards because it wasn't. I didn't get the impression from here, there, and everywhere your book, Jeff, that there was a stranger moment than Lennon deciding that he had to sound as if he was singing underwater for Yellow Submarine, and in fact, he wanted you to record him singing underwater. <laughs> well, well, exactly. I mean, that, that was, you know, what, what, I mean, I'm running around the studio floor, sort of tearing my hair out. You know, there's all there's all the other people there. You know, so, so in in the end, I thought, well, you, John, you can't do that. I mean, he'd been blowing and singing singing into walls from bubbles and God knows what else. So I thought, well, the next best thing, let's just, just out of desperation, was to try and and put a microphone in 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 a in a bottle of water and uh, <laughs> just sing, just sing to the to, to the, the glass glass milk bottle 
but we had to protect the uh, slim condenser microphone, which had you know like 240 volts running through it. Uh, yeah, electricity. I don't know much about recording engineering, but electricity no, right. and water don't mix, right? Yeah, right. Exa- exactly. Yeah. So, so I was thinking, well, what, what can we put it in? And Mal Evans, you know, produced the the, uh, the condom out of his wallet, and I uh, put put the mic in that, and then sunk that in the milk bottle. So, and, that, and that's what what we did. Well, I can't. I don't think I ended up using it. It was just a dull yeah. sort of sort of sound. But I mean, John, John. I'm I mean, telling you, Jeff. If we, you if you had that used condom today uh, on yeah. eBay, man, you'd be set for the next year. I'm telling oh, sure. you. Yeah. Right. He couldn't understand why you couldn't directly inject his vocal like you could a bass guitar or a, gu- a guitar late, later on, mm. uh, in, you know, during our, our pr- recording. And until George Martin explained that he'd have to have, have an operation and have a jack jack socket implanted in his neck, but that was only <laughs> said as a joke. You know, he, he was so ignorant of, of stuff like that. You know, one of the things too that I think uh, you you sort of pioneered with this record, Revolver, uh, Jeff, was just simply where you placed the microphones inside Ringo's bass drum and close micing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the string section on, uh, yeah. on Eleanor Rigby. Did you have any idea yeah. how these experiments were going to turn out before you attempted them? The, the, well, the Eleanor Rigby thing, string sound was, was a sound that you know I discussed with Paul and we wanted this close sound. And of course, when I went in very close onto the string players with those microphones, which was, of course, it was a, a double string quartet, so there was eight, eight players there. Uh, they'd they'd never been mic'd as close as that. And of course, the, some of the guys, as we would say in the back desk, who weren't as good as the gooder players as the guys in the front desks you know used to sort of slide their chairs away from the mics but that you know i i obviously could hear what was going on i had to keep going downstairs and and just getting them to move back in or move the <laughs> mic closer and, to, and and in the end george martin had to tell them to stop doing it and because we were after a particular sound up the rice in the church where a wedding has been it's in a dream this was not done on rock records you had a, a, a no. basically a voice backed up by eight an eight piece string section that, that was unusual for a, a rock recording in those days and that's it, right uh, McCartney uh, was obviously looking for something different I think there was a conversation with George Martin may have suggested strings and, and I believe Paul was thinking, oh, Mantovani, no, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the lush sort of string sound. And then I, I guess, we, you know, the, the, the close miking thing, you know, came, came from, from those conversations. What I like about your book, uh, Jeff, Here, There, and Everywhere, mm-hmm. is that it, at the same time that it acknowledges the accomplishments, it demythologizes the Beatles. My entire life, I've grown up with this uh, this thing being shoved down my throat. Nothing I ever experienced in my lifetime will be as good as the Beatles were, you know. Right. And I was by the time I caught up, they were long gone, right? But when you when you see this whole thing of Beatles 
right? Yeah. You know, the mountaintop, yeah. the paradigm. I mean, how do you feel about it? For you, there were a couple of guys, you know, Lenin could be snarky to you and kind of nasty. Paul was oh, kind of yeah. sucking up in politic. The other two guys are yeah. quiet. I mean, they were just guys that you worked with. Well, right, exactly. I mean, this is a story of just human beings make, making making music in the studio with all its problems. And, you know, George Harrison didn't come down from the sky playing magical guitar solos. And, <laughs> and, and, and young kids now who feel, I, I can't possibly, you know, learn the guitar because you have to, you know, it, you, you just play the guitar. You have to learn. And George learned, you know, and it's a story of George learning, you know, which I, yeah. I think is great, you know. Crowd of people turned away. I just That was Jeff Emmerich talking with us in 2006. He died earlier this month at the age of 72. You can hear more about Jeff Emmerich working on Revolver on our website, soundopinions.org. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim Gray and I have a conversation with Emmy-winning music supervisor Susan Jacobs. For more Sound Opinions, listen to our podcast wherever you find those things. The show was produced, as always, by Brendan Banasak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. Operator, well, could you help me place this call? See the number on the matchbook is old and faded. New messages. Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Ted from Montreal. I was listening to your episode with The Rock Doctor and Rebecca and Wheaton. I realized I was going to have to expand my musical horizons to bring him up in a household that showed him that he could be a whole bunch of different things, that he didn't have to just be a toxic dude. And I think you're going to get a lot of mail from males, um, your voicemail. Uh, and that's fine. I actually I agree, basically, with the position that the anti-patriarchal and anti-gender However, I wonder if you picked the right song. I know you dislike Bowie, but, you know, Brian Eno also helped him on the uh, Visconti-produced Heroes, and I thought that that is a personal track. not exactly full of gender. I don't think Bowie is exactly your alpha dominant male, but he is a male, which I think is also important because, you know, the traditional stuff 
has virtues and has instructions about how to be in the world as well that help a boy fit, which, let's be honest, is also as important for boys as it is for girls. Um, so I would suggest Heroes and see how that goes. Maybe you want to give it a scan. Thanks for the show, and thanks for all you do. Hey, this is Wynn calling from Durham, North Carolina. I'm calling on the excellent MC5 show. I go way back with these guys to that first uncensored album. My roommate John and I were sitting in military school in Tennessee and not liking life, and but he had a, a good record store connection. So anyway, we got this album, and we had no idea what was on it. We put on that first track, and it blew our minds. Anyway, enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. This is Russell from Asheboro, North Carolina. I really appreciate the Wayne Kramer interview, the MC5s. Uh, what can be said about them? They probably, and I've often said this, were the American version of the Sex Pistols. They had energy. They had the zeal. And uh, I tell you, uh, it was... Definitely not for the faint-hearted, but uh, anyway, that was one group that uh, they laid it down and burned it all the way to the very end. Thanks for the uh, segment on that. Hey, Sound Opinions. This is Greg from Las Vegas. Awesome interview about Wayne Kramer. Uh, I designed a couple of his albums when he was on Epitaph in the 90s, and Wayne was the coolest guy to deal with. I had gone to his house a few times to talk about the records, the layout, the photography, everything. He was such an approachable man, and it was refreshing to hear the interview. And I haven't talked to Wayne in so many years, but uh, great show, great interview, and keep it up. Thanks. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.